Thank you so much, Lord, for that time of worship. So sweet, Lord, to be with you. So sweet, Lord, to sing of your glory. And Lord, we do want to be with you. Lord, we ask for your continued presence to be here in this service this morning, Lord. Lord, don't let your servant botch up that which is sacred and hallowed, your precious word. Let your servant deliver it this morning, Father God. Lord, and let it accomplish the purpose that you intend this morning, Lord. Let the greatest mind to the least mind in here perceive and understand the word of the Lord this morning, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. Amen. Thank you, New Hope Band. Thank you, Jesus. Good morning, everyone. Tonight we'll be in Romans chapter 3. We're going to try to do verses 1 through 20, 21, around there somewhere. If you want to be a part of that, we'll be over there. We've been enjoying ourselves, going slowly and methodically through the book of Romans. So that'll be this evening. I um, wanted to also let you know, uh, and I think we did post it on Facebook, but we kind of began the shelter house process back there. Um, of course, we started digging a hole and the rain comes. I mean, digging and working outside is kind of like doing a, a rain dance of some type. You know, rain comes in and makes it a big mud hole. But that project is underway and wanted to let everyone know too, because I know that I'm here just about every day, and I know that you're not, but, you know, ever since we kind of put the playground in and disc golf and now shelter houses, we get people here every day. Um, just the other day, I saw a van come back, and mom got out with kids, and they played on the playground, and they left, and a couple more mom came with more kids, and they got out and played, and then after that, some disc golfers came, and uh, we had a neighbor actually come down just the other day, and sat with Rod for a while and talked and brought his grandkids and they were running all over and he went to leave and I, you know I kind of came out of the office and met him and said hi and went to leave and he said hey, I wanted to thank you guys what you're doing here we really appreciate this this is very wonderful and just wanted to let you know that the things that we're doing here in this ministry it does have albeit maybe it's a small impact but it's an impact on our community and in our neighborhood so just kind of wanted to let you know people come here every day and play and we like that Okay, now I'm not going to be so nice to you. <laughs> I get excited over the Word of God. I, I've been waiting all week long for Sunday morning to come rolling around, and the, the Word of God means so much to me, so much. It means everything to me. So here goes. Now, this isn't going to be a big revelation, at least not this part, but the Bible teaches this, that sin is evil. Amen? Sin is evil. Uh, we know this. That's a the very, very basic fact. Even our little children here at New Hope know that. Sin is bad. Sin is evil. Our kids know that. God does not like sin. You understand that our sin cost God his son's life. His son's blood was shed because of our sin to reconcile us back to him. Sin is not good. Sin is evil. Sin never leads to good. Does not lead to good. Many, many places in the Word of God warn us not to sin because sin is very powerful. Sin is very dangerous. Sin will warp your mind, sin will twist you. Sin has the power, listen to me, to take you down a path that you never intended to travel upon. Sin will ruin you, 
Sin will cause things to happen to you that you never intended to happen. Sin will change you into something you never meant to become. And I don't mean something good. It will be something bad. Now, as a matter of fact, listen. Romans teaches us that the wages of sin is death. If you can perceive that, I challenge you sometime to to study that statement that the wages of sin is death. If you can perceive and understand what that statement is, you'll start turning away from sin. When you understand sin's implications. James teaches us that when lust conceives, it brings forth sin. And when sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. You understand that the, the Bible does not take a middle ground stance on sin. It does not take a soft stance on sin. It is not very diplomatic when it comes to sin. The Bible takes a solid stance on sin and calls it what it is. It's wickedness. It is iniquity. Very clear all throughout the scriptures. Sin is selfishness. It it is. That's, That's the epitome of sin. It's selfishness. Sin is going up to God and going, Ugh, get out of the way. Not your way. It's going to be my way, God. You, you said a way in here, Lord, but I don't think so. Step out of the way. My will be done, not your will. That's what sin is. It's the glorification of self. It's the manifestation of selfishness. I'm going to do what I want to do regardless of what any entity tells me, what any deity says to me, what any friend says. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's what sin is. It's wickedness. There are many, many examples in the Bible of people that sin. And it has very severe consequences. If not in this lifetime, then in the next. Very severe consequences. King Saul, he sinned in not obeying the word of the Lord. And it had very severe consequences for him. King David sinned in committing adultery with Bathsheba. And trying to cover it all up with murder. And it had very severe consequences on him and his family and his legacy. Solomon sinned. King Solomon sinned in having multiple wives and wives of other religions and it turned his heart cold towards God and had very severe consequences on Solomon. I don't know if King Solomon, the wisest man who may have ever lived, I don't even know if he's in heaven because his heart was turned cold because of sin. If you follow the, the Israelites all through history, all through the Old Testament, you'll see them turn to sin over and over again. Their hearts are turned from God to other idols. They'll worship other deities, other gods, and it does not work out good. It always, sooner or later, brings the judgment of God upon them because of sin. Sin has caused the destruction of marriages. Sin has devastated families. Sin has ruined men. Sin has ruined women with great potential, end up ruined and devastated. Sin has destroyed careers. Sin has toppled kings and queens. Sin has annihilated nations because it is powerful. We're not meant to mess with it. Sin. Sin is what's called the root cause, brothers and sisters. We have this nation that we live in today. We see all these problems, all these things going wrong, all of them. And all that we ever do is try to address the symptoms. 
Well, let's create this problem or program for that, or let's throw this money at that. We only ever address the symptoms, never the root cause. The root cause is sin. I spent many, many years in a factory with lots of machinery. Lots of machinery. And some, if something in our process failed, we used to have to do what was called a root cause analysis. I remember because I never liked doing them. It was this paperwork stuff you had to fill out, and it was called a root cause analysis. Some of you may be familiar with that, but let me give you an example. If there was a conveyor, and it had pans on it with buns in it, and they're running down this conveyor, and all of a sudden that conveyor stops, and those pans keep coming from another conveyor, and then they start stacking up, then they start spilling over, and people start running all over the place, and buns start flying all over the place, products falling on the floor, people are going wild. Then the bosses want to come and they want to say, hey, what happened here? Because it's product loss, it's downtime, it's wages lost because you got people standing around and they're, they're not uh, making any finished product, it harms the business. So they say, hey, you've got to fill out a root cause analysis and find out what happened. Now the root cause is not that the conveyor stopped. That, that's, that's a symptom of the root cause. Well, the conveyor stopped. Well, well, why did the conveyor? See, you've got to dig a little bit deeper. That's just a symptom that the conveyor stopped and the pan started backing up. Well, well the sprocket quit, quit turning the conveyor. Even that's not the root cause. You've got to dig deeper than that. Well, well why did the, the sprocket quit? Well, because the motor quit turning it. Well, why did the motor quit turning it? Oh, there it is. We found a broken shaft. That's the root. If you dig down deep enough, you will come to the root cause, to the reason that caused all the problems. And then they say, okay, we'll, we'll put that on a PM schedule. We'll have people check that each week so that it doesn't fail again, so that we don't have this problem in the future. It's a way of making a better business model. That's the same premise that us humans can't figure out about ourselves. We, we, cannot, we fail to ask, why are people shooting up schools? Why are people shooting up malls? Why are people shooting up parades? We don't ever ask why. We never dig down to the root problem of it all. Why is our nation filled with rioting? Why is it filled with violence? Why is it filled with division? Dig down deep enough and you will find the root cause to it all is sinfulness. We, we like to say, oh, it's the gun's fault. Isn't that such a stupid statement? It is an inanimate object's fault. That's like me saying it's that microphone's fault. That microphone can't do anything. We like to say, oh, it's society's fault. Oh, it's Democrats' fault. It's Republicans' fault. It's black people's fault. It's white people's fault. No to all of that. It's sin's fault. That is the root cause. It's sinfulness. It is iniquity and wickedness. It is a total and complete lack of godliness. We have a nation that wants to abort babies. Brothers and sisters, what's the root cause of this? Sin. We have a nation that is sexually perverse. What is the root cause of that? Sin. We have national media syndicates that cannot tell the truth. What is the root cause of that? Sin. Now, it's at this time that I'm hoping you have figured out the topic for today is sin. <laughs> but I believe that the Lord would have us be a little more specific than that. 
there are four things. I've been studying my Bible like crazy lately, and there's four things that the Bible says they're, they're so evil and wicked and powerful that you're to flee from them. It instructs us to flee from four things. They're so sinful, so dangerous to the individual, we're instructed to flee from them. Okay? Flee from these four things. Now, now listen, the Bible does not tell us to contend with these things. The Bible does not tell us to jostle with them, does not tell us to wrestle with them. It does not tell us to control them, does not tell us to entertain them. Do not give them a single foothold. It, it, it actually tells us to flee from them. You run away from them because these four things, you cannot contain them. They're so dangerous and powerful. We are not to fool ourselves thinking that we can manage these four things. They are unmanageable. You are to run away from them. Four things found in Scripture that you are to flee you are to avoid them at all costs because they're so dangerous and powerful. They are addictive, they are controlling, and they are domineering. And they will overwhelm you. They will overpower you, therefore you are to flee them. Now all sins are dangerous and evil and wicked, but for some reason God inspired the Holy Spirit to speak to man to tell us not only that these ones are dangerous and sinful, but it says to flee them. Now, just for clarification purposes, to flee from something means to run away. Run away from it. It actually means to run from this into a place of security. Run from this into a place of safety. Run from it, to fly away, to, to evade, to escape danger. That's what it means to flee from something. Number one, four things. Now, there's kind of five things, but I'm going to clump two of them together so four things the first one is it's the love of money you say how you know oh let's read 1 Timothy 6 6 says but godliness with contentment is great gain for we brought nothing into this world and it is certain that we can carry nothing out and having food and raiment let us therewith be content Listen, verse 9 says, But they that will be rich fall into a temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all evil, which while some coveted after, they have erred from the faith and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. But thou, O man of God, flee these things. And follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, and meekness. We are instructed, brothers and sisters, to flee from the love of money. It's so dangerous. It is so powerful. You're to flee from it. You're to want to run away from it. The love of money is so dangerous. It doesn't say, well, just try to improve in that area. Just try to keep it under control. Keep it in check. It actually says flee. Run away from it. Run from it. Don't try to say, well, I'll get better. No, flee from it. It's greater than you are. It will overcome you. It will overwhelm you. It will take control of you. Take control of your mind and your heart. And it will change who you are as a person. That's how powerful it is. It's addictive. It's potent. It will spin out of control very easily. That's how all these sins start. We, we think, I can, I can give an inch here. God will allow me a little wiggle room over here. 
and we give a sin just an inch, and then things start going out of control. And then we lose control all altogether. And then it leads us to perdition. What's perdition? Hell, damnation, destruction. We are instructed to flee from the love of money. You'll notice this. I have. I bet you have too. You'll notice that people that have money want more of it, don't they? Who, who here has ever seen a guy, I got enough money, I don't want no more. No, 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 no. Sir, do you want another million dollars? No, no, no. Give that to someone else. I don't, I've got plenty for myself. No, everyone wants more. And as soon as you get some of it, you want some more. As soon as you get some more, you want some more. Loving money and what it can do for you is extremely dangerous. Boy, money's powerful down here, isn't it? There ain't a single person in here that doesn't think, ah, I wouldn't mind having some more money. Down here on this planet, money is power, isn't it? Money can get you a lot of nice stuff. Money can provide lots of nice things. Money is the good life down here. The Bible says, flee from the love of money. We must trust that God will supply us with what we need. Now, that doesn't mean quit working to quit earning. Uh-uh. Christian people should be hardworking and very industrious indeed. We should be business owners, hard workers. If you work in a factory, you should be amongst one of the ones with the best reputation for being a hard worker. But your motivation should not be because you love money. It should be because you want to glorify God. We must resist the temptation to idolize money because we got to resist that, that temptation to go, Ugh, move along, God. And what happens is that love of money comes in there and it says, hey, God, you step over there because there's a new God that's going to sit on the throne now. And his name is money. It, it, it knocks God right out of the throne of your heart. And it sets up another deity in his place. The Bible says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things. Run away from that. Money itself is not evil. Money is just like I said. Money is just like a gun. Money is just like that microphone. It's an inanimate object. But it's the love of money that is what's dangerous. The love of what it can do for you. Loving money causes you to covet more of it. And then you start to cover more of it, and then it leads to the neglect of your faith. Then altogether, you just chuck your faith completely. Loving money will ultimately cause you to leave the faith and drown in destruction and perdition, just like the Timothy just spoke to us. I find it ironic that people that love money end up eternally bankrupt. Now remember, not only does sin harm you, it'll harm all those around you. The love of money will dethrone God in your heart, and it will not end well for you. It will not. Whenever God is pushed aside for a new God, it does not go good for that individual. You know why? Because God Almighty does not get along well with other lowercase g gods. He doesn't get along well with them. He doesn't like to share his glory with them. And I don't blame him. This is his world. He created it. 
He's not going to share glory with someone else. Rightfully so. He's righteous in saying that. Brothers and sisters, flee from these things. Number two, flee from idolatry. Corinthians chapter 10 verse 14 says this. Wherefore, my dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Now, notice that the scripture here starts out with an adverb, wherefore. When you see a, a verse in the Bible, there's a lot of wherefores in the King James at least, which I read. You'll see that word wherefore a lot. And what it means is, it pretty much means, for these reasons, flee from idolatry. Okay, so right here, it's saying, for these reasons, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. Well, what reasons? Well, we better read a little bit above that. It's really a summation of this whole chapter, verses 1 through 13. Let's start reading of verse 1. These, these verses are going to remind us of the children of Israel's exodus from Egypt to the promised land. But to the promised land, on the way, they go through the wilderness. And some stuff happened to them, if you know any biblical history. 1 Corinthians 10.1 says, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, and all passed through the sea. And were all baptized unto Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and did eat the same spiritual meat, and did all drink the same spiritual drink. For they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. But with many of them God was not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things were our examples, to the extent, intent we should not lust after evil things, as they also lusted. Neither be ye idolaters. As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and to drink and rose up to play. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them also tempted and were destroyed of the serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now all these things happened unto them for our examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Wherefore, let him that thinks he stand, take heed, lest he fall. It gives us a quick, brief, historical lessons of all the mistakes that the Israelites fall, fall into. And, and Paul sums it up by saying, all those mistakes, wherefore, dearly beloved, flee from idolatry. It is the summation of the ancient Israelites, idolatrous people. The apostle Paul is saying, Avoid Israel's mistakes. Look back on them in his example and don't do what they did. Well, what did they do? They committed idolatry. Many of them died in that wilderness. Many of them never inherited that promised land. Many of them never crossed over Jordan. They died because they were idolatrous. You don't hear too many people preaching about idolatry anymore, do you? It's like a sin that don't count anymore. It is. It, it is, it's like it doesn't count. It's, I know it's in the Bible, but times have changed. Come on, man. I think it does count. You, you say, Jason, why do you say you think it doesn't count? Because whatever in the world that they, they say is a God, we go, yeah, it is a God. He is a God. She is a God. This is a God. Yeah, we go right along with it. We worship all the world's idols just like they do. Listen to me now, idolatry 
is a violation of the first commandment. It is a violation of the, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Idolatry is saying, "Mm, I think I will have another god before you. It violates the very first commandment. Idolatry is replacing God with something or someone else in your heart. Move over God, there's a new person coming in here. That's what idolatry is. If you don't know what idolatry is, let me give you a few examples. Sports. We make idols out of sports, amen? Sports athletes, movie stars, money. We just talked about that one. Power, sex, political figures, self, cars, homes. These are all things that we can be made into idols. We have made them idols. We live in the midst of a nation that I I think, uh, and a very good case could be argued that self is the number one idol of them all. Self, glorify self. Do whatever it is that gratifies your self. It's idolatry. This United States of America is extremely, extremely idolatrous. And the Bible says, flee from it. It, it, That's how dangerous it is. The the Bible doesn't say, well, wrestle with it, to, to contend with it. It says, run away. That's how addictive it is. That's how domineering it is. Run from it. Evade it. Escape. Run for your life. Colossians chapter 3 verse 5 says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections. That just means excessiveness of anything. Evil concupiscence. That just means evil sexual desires. And covetousness, which is idolatry. The Bible says, kill that. Kill it. It's that evil. It's that wicked. Verse 6 says, for which things sake the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. So if you are an idolater, the wrath of God is going to abide on you. The wrath of God abides upon idolaters. Well, why? Why would God be that harsh over idolatry? Here's why. Not only does idolatry violate the first commandment, it also violates the second commandment. And listen to me, and I hope you know that the Ten Commandments are immutable because they reflect the character and nature of God. Here's what the second commandment says. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. Here's the why. For I, the Lord God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hates me. God deserves our deepest devotion and commitment. He deserves it. He's worthy of it. This whole world is His. The sea is His because He made it. You and I are His. He he made us. He created us. We are His creation. He's not going to share His glory with someone else. He allows no one above Him. He allows no one even come up and stand beside Him and be as equal. No one can be. His jealousy is a holy, righteous jealousy. The earth is His and the fullness thereof. And when we shove Him out of the way... And we say, move over, and we replace him with another. It provokes God. It, 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 idolatry, imagine it. It is us, humans, 
pushing God out of the way and saying, I'm going to serve another. There is, in my life, there is one greater than you, God. It's idolatrous. And it bothers God. Real bad. Enough to the point that he warns us in the Bible and says, flee from it. Run away from this. Run away from anything that tries to push God out of his rightful place. If you have idols in your life, brothers and sisters, flee from them. Cast them down and run away to safety. Number three. This is the one I'm going to combine two and a one. Okay? That's fornication and lust. Okay? There are a couple of scriptures that support this extremely dangerous topic. The first one is this. 2 Timothy 2, 22. Says this. Flee also youthful lusts, but follow righteousness, faith, charity, peace with them that call on the Lord out of a pure heart. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Verse 18, it says this, flee fornication. Every sin that man does is without the body, but he that commits fornication sins against his own body. Here, in the scripture text, we are instructed to flee youthful lusts and flee fornication. Two extremely dangerous topics that will ruin you and destroy you. The Bible says, run away from these things. I combined them together because I kind of feel like they're very closely related. Lust pretty much leads to fornication many times. So we lumped them together. Lust and fornication are extremely, extremely dangerous to an individual. These things will destroy you. These things will destroy your relationships These things will destroy your marriage. These things will pervert your mind. These things will twist your heart. These things will destroy what God has created to be good and wholesome within the confines of marriage. How many decent, God-fearing men, and I'll even go so far as to say women now, have compromised and are now trapped In a world of pornographic imagery. Trapped. Snared. Decent people. I mean, it was just a good guy we're talking about. Not some scumbag, not some drug dealer or criminal. The good guy. He's trapped now. The snares got him. Them jaws clamped on his ankle, and now he can't get away. That's why the Bible says, flee it. Run away from it. There's traps there. They'll clamp down on your ankle and they won't let go. The Bible says, flee, run from them. What may start out as seemingly innocent curiosity quickly turns into a snap, and it's got you. I told my boys when they got their phones, and my wife, she's a phone Nazi. We call it a phone Nazi. She checks those boys' phones and we, we sat him down one time, and I know this is kind of uncomfortable to talk about with your children. It is. But they're going to learn from you or they're going to learn it somewhere else at school or something like that. 
So we had the uncomfortable little meeting about pornography in our home, and it, it kind of felt uncomfortable. But I told my boys, I said, you know what pornography is like, boys? I said, you might as well unscrew your skull, open it up, dump sewage in it, and then seal it up real nice and tight so that it sloshes around in there in your brain and saturates your brain. That's what that junk is. It will destroy you, young men. Men of New Hope Church, it will destroy you. It will twist you up to be something that's barely recognizable as a human being. Why do you think the Bible says, flee it? Because it's dangerous. It's powerful. It'll overcome you. Young people, it will warp your mind. Young ladies, it will degrade you. It will steal your innocence. Lust is a power that you cannot wield. It will, listen to me, you young strapping men that are all strong. And I look at my sons, they work out and they can do all kinds of one-handed push-ups. My boy does them all the time. He's out there pumping out these push-ups with one hand. Lust will whip you, young men. It'll whip you. If it's lust and fornication, if given the tiniest opportunity, the tiniest, just the littlest opportunity, it will drag you down a path you never thought you'd travel. It's like opening Pandora's box. Once you open it, man, it's real hard to get all that stuff put back in again. That's why the Bible says to flee it. Run away from it. Run to safety. Run to security. Fly from it. Run to the secure arms of Christ. If you're playing around with lust and, and fornication, you're messing with a ticking time bomb. The Bible says fornication is a sin within your own body. All these other sins are, are external. Fornication is internal. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19, it says what? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? Pastor Joe just spent the whole month of July speaking on the Holy Ghost. And here, the Holy Ghost will not enter a host that also is fornicating and has lust inside and doesn't work well. Your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God. You are not your own. Verse 20 says, for you are bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God. Your, your body and your spirit both, both belong to God. Well, sexuality is so powerful, and it is, brothers and sisters. We can't walk around acting like church folks. Oh, it, it doesn't bother me any. No, no, no. It's, it's so powerful. How do we then avoid its temptations? How? Well, why don't we just keep reading a little bit? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1 says this. Now concerning the things whereof ye wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. It is, excuse me, nevertheless, verse 2 says, nevertheless to avoid fornication, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Here we see the wisdom of the Bible and the practicality of it. If you, 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 it, it is good, it says, it is right for a man not to touch a woman. 
do not touch the ladies, men. And it, the Bible's saying that is right. Don't do that. Do not do that. Because it's too powerful you, for you men. Man, if, if, if I touch my wife's hand, then it makes me want to touch her arm. Then her shoulder. And it just keeps right on going in us men. Men don't act like it's not there. It is there. Men, don't be touching on the ladies. It's too powerful for you. It's too much for you. Don't touch on the woman unless she's your wife. It's okay if it's your wife. But if she's not your wife, don't touch on her. Why are you talking about this, Jason? So we can avoid fornication and lust. Ladies, don't try to act all innocent. Listen to me now. Ladies, don't put out the vibes to the men making sure yourself available to be touched. Don't anyone try to act like we don't know. Everyone in this room knows that there is a game that men and women play. Amen? We know how to play the game. Every last one of us in here, we know how to play the game. Women, you know what to do to get the men's attention. You know. So these scriptures are not for men only. Women, it's for you also. Young ladies, listen to me. If you dress in a way that all your stuff's hanging out, and you can't figure why all these scumbags are coming up to you wanting to touch on you and this and that, we just found the reason why. Because men can't resist that. It's too powerful. Don't dress that way, and you won't have the attention of scumbags. To avoid fornication, men, concentrate on the one that God gave you, your wife. Concentrate on her. Young men, if you have that desire in you, and I know that most of you do, pray that God brings her to you. In his way, in his time. Ladies, you do the same thing. Pray that God brings him to you. And do it right. Don't botch it up. Brothers and sisters, listen to me now. These things that we're talking about today, they're very, very potent, and we are instructed to flee from them. I find the wording in the Bible is extremely important. Extremely important. Remember, the, the love of money, flee from it. Idolatry, flee from it. And here, lust and fornication, flee from them. Run away as fast as you can. Run for your life. Now this fourth and last one. The other three are in no particular order. This one I saved for last because I kind of feel like it's the key to fleeing from the other ones. And it ties it all together. Now this last one that we're to flee from is not particularly a sin or at least not one particular sin but the Bible instructs us to flee from this nonetheless and it is this we are to flee from the wrath to come now listen to what that means we're going to read just a little passage from John the Baptist you all remember John the Baptist and who he is this is Matthew chapter 3 verse 5 He's talking about John the Baptist, okay? Then went out to him 
Jerusalem and all Judea and all the regions about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to his baptism, he said unto them, O generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? You see, here we see this commandment to flee the wrath to come. John, John the Baptist see these, he, he, these hypocritical Pharisees and these resurrection-denying Sadducees. They're coming to see what's going on out here. They, they hear some scuttle about this man that's baptizing in the remission of sins in the Jordan River. And they come out to see what's going on. And John the Baptist, he doesn't hold back. He rebukes them and says, Oh, you generation of vipers, who hath warned you to flee the wrath to come? He calls them generation of vipers. The, these men, they were legalistic. These Sadducees, they were, they were resurrection deniers. They didn't believe in anything supernatural, especially the resurrection. And they taught these things to everyone else. John is pretty much telling them, you all better repent. You better confess on your sins and repent so that you can flee the wrath to come. You better have a change of heart. You better confess your sins. That is the only way you can flee the wrath to come. John is pretty much telling them, you had better repent. Well, what wrath to come? What do you mean? What are you talking about? To understand the wrath to come, we kind of have to look back at an Old Testament prophecy. It's found in Mal Malachi chapter 4, verse 1. If you'll remember, there's this strange little connection even that Jesus speaks of about John the Baptist and Elijah. It's like John the Baptist was like this, had this spirit of Elijah in him. So we're going to read this prophecy now in Malachi chapter 4 verse 1. It says, for behold, remember we're talking about the wrath to come. How do we escape it? For behold, the day comes that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that comes shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings. And ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under your soles of your feet in the day that I shall doeth, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb, for all the Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And then hundreds of years later, here comes this man, John the Baptist, and he's warning these people the fulfillment of this prophecy, prophecy and it is applicable to us. We too are to flee the wrath to come. This, this great day when God pours out his judgment, which I kind of feel like ain't going to be too far into the future. I truly believe that. More and more wickedness manifests all around us in this nation. I feel like Lord is up there going, not too much longer. You all are starting to make me mad. You all are starting to push me. You're starting to press my buttons. John the Baptist warns these people, you better escape the wrath to come. Warning about them, this coming day of God's wrath. God is going to execute judgment and justice upon all the world, and we are to flee from it. How? How do we flee from it? Brothers and sisters, if the band could make their way, how do we flee from this wrath to come? 
I believe the scripture tells us how to flee from wrath to come. It's through repentance and confessing on Jesus with a true and genuine heart. This is not only how we can flee the wrath to come, but how we can flee all the dangerous things that I mentioned. All today I've been saying flee, flee, run, run. Run to what? Run where? To whom? Where is the safety that you talk about that I can escape all these things? Where is the safety from idolatry? Where is this safety from the love of money? Where is the, this security that I can have from, from the snares of lust and fornication? How can I evade this wrath to come? John chapter 3 verse 36 tells us plainly. It says, he that believes on the Son has everlasting life. But he that believes not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. How is it that you can flee these things? Let's make it very simple. Do you know Christ? Do you know Christ? He is the escape route. He is the cleft in the rock. He is the sure foundation. He is the, the rock that we run to. He is the strong tower, the place of refuge from all these wicked things that we spoke of today, these very dangerous things that are reaching out to destroy you. It's Him that you run to to find your safety and security. It's Him that you fly to. It's Him that you place your faith in, your trust in, and you believe with all of your heart on the name of Jesus. He is the safety that we run to. He is the place that we run to and escape to, to evade the snares of the world. Will you not only today flee idolatry, the love of money, lust and fornication, but also the wrath to come? Will you flee these things? You will, but only if you genuinely have committed your heart to Christ in fullness. With everything that you are, give your heart to Jesus Christ. He is the key to fleeing all these things. Let's stand this morning. Brothers and sisters, these altars are always open. This is a praying church. You come down here, you find your spot, and you pray, and you ask Christ to forgive you if you've committed any of these things, if you're tripped up in any of these things. Forgiveness is there. He is faithful and just to forgive all of our unrighteousness. He'll cleanse us from all our iniquity. That's how powerful Christ's blood is. It is more powerful than all these powerful things we spoke of today. He can cleanse you. He can purify you. And he can provide that place of safety and shelter this morning. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Father God, we thank you for this morning. We thank you, Father God, for the biblical warnings. We thank you for the text that we read today. Though we take it serious, though this is no joking matter, Lord, these four things that you speak of that we are to flee from, we are to take seriously and flee from them. We're to run for our lives away from them. And we see that the key to it all is running to Christ, to the open arms of Christ. Lord, I pray that this be a church that, that takes this in this morning. That whenever these temptations come, they'll turn and run away directly to the arms of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's pray. These altars are open, church.